This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. What's up, wrestling fans? Welcome to episode 62 of Top Rope Nation. We've got a lot to discuss this week. A very newsworthy week in the world of professional wrestling. But then again, when isn't it? Uh, We've got some good news to talk about. We've got some sad news, of course. Uh, What's on everyone's mind right now is the uh, death of Leon White, better known as Vader or Big Van Vader, to those of you that have been following wrestling for decades at this point i should say um so or we definitely super vader super vader yeah super vader uh bull power baby bull lots of different names for uh leon white so we're definitely going to talk a lot about vader tonight uh i am ryan drosty uh from popculture.com here the host of top rope nation i am joined by my two co-hosts as usual kyle ross and justin joint both on the line this week to discuss Vader's career, memories of his career. We're also going to talk about um, what's going on in the world of WWE this week, which, is, like I said, has been a pretty uh, noteworthy week. So uh, if you're listening on iTunes, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It helps out the show. Leave us a five-star rating. Check out our full archives on TopRopeNation.com. And, of course, follow us at Top Rope Nation. So, guys, uh, as we start the discussion this week, Again, I want to talk about Vader. We're going to kind of run down some of the highlights of his career. Uh, we got a lot of feedback on our Twitter page this week and tonight uh, about Vader and people sending in their memories on his career. So I thought a good way to, to start the show is just to throw it to both of you and um, you know kind of talk about one or, one or two of your favorite memories of Vader's career. I'll start off here. Uh, growing up, I was kind of more of a WWF fan, but... Vader was just a massive star in wrestling, so I did watch WCW here and there, but I mostly tuned into WWF, but I, of course, knew who Vader was, and when he came over to the WWF in early 1996, it was, for me, one of the more memorable uh, debuts in the WWF up until that point, I think because of the way he physically attacked the uh, so-called president of the WWF, Gorilla Monsoon at the time, and uh, it was a pretty good introduction. I think I think WWE introduced him very strongly, um, but unfortunately, I don't think his, his run in WWF was what it could have been, um, and it wasn't until later on 
that I went back and kind of watched his archives in more depth in WCW. Uh, this was kind of in my tape trading days before the WWE Network saw, you know, his feuds with Flair and Sting, um, in particular, um, the great matches with Cactus Jack McFoley. Uh, for me, I would say my favorite match of Vader's from his entire career was probably his Halloween Havoc Mac- match with uh, Cactus Jack. In 1993, either that one or the Flair match um, from Starcade 93, which was like Flair's retirement match. Um, those two really stick out to me. So I, <laughs> I heard a vocal response over there from Kyle. So I'm going to th- I'm going to throw it to Kyle first. Uh, what, what are your memories of Big Van Vader? It's fun. so I did a um, this is like the worst thing you can do. It's like, oh, somebody passed away. So you like start watching. You use that as an excuse to watch their matches. And but that's what I did uh, that afternoon. And I did not. It, it, it's really interesting um, for me. His standout stuff is with Sting. The three matches he did on pay-per-view with Sting. Uh, Great American Bash, which was really noteworthy at the time for how it was done in that the babyface champion Sting put Vader really over clean as a sheet. You, you did not see that a lot in that era of uh, a babyface just lose clean like that. And then they uh, topped themselves, I thought, at Starcade in the uh, King of Cable tournament, um, which really meant nothing. It was just a way for Sting to beat Vader back in, in the last show of the year, and it was not at the t- time Ron Simmons was the champion. But Vader got it back shortly thereafter. They had that great strap match. It's probably the best strap match I ever saw, even though, as a rule, you know, strap matches are kind of, you know, they suffer from the get the you know touching all four corners gimmick is not my favorite thing. But I think the the one they had at Super Bowl three, again, despite the White Castle of Fear vignettes, um, was another high point. So. That, that was my high point stuff for Vader. Um, the WWF thing did not work out for a variety of reasons. Shawn Michaels being a WCW guy in WWF in 1996 was probably not great. Um, not to defend Shawn or WWF's way of thinking, but August of 1996 was probably the absolute worst time that WWF would have wanted to put over a named WCW guy as its world champion. I mm-hmm. sense that probably factored into it. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, Sean was going to win the title. Whoever he dropped it to, uh, he was going to win it back at the Rumble 97 because it was in San Antonio. He chose Sid. So, um, but yeah, I mean, an unbelievable performer. Um, really held it down in some dark days for WCW. Um, you know, the whole, you know, unbelievable work in Japan. I mean, you know, one of those famous matches is against Stan Hansen. Um, where he almost lost his eye. I mean, that's if you people haven't seen that, it's it's on YouTube. You can search it out. It's it's pretty easy to find. So, yeah, best super heavyweight of all time, no doubt about it. I would concur, Justin. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm right there with Kyle. Uh, the stuff with Sting uh, blew me away, especially, and it hit me right about the you know the right age where I was still a pretty big mark, and especially with Sting when. You know, I'd look back at him beating Ric Flair in, you know, the the red, white, and blue makeup and how big that was. And then you go to Great American Bash, he's in the red, white, and blue makeup again, and then Vader wins clean. It's like that, that blew me away as a kid. Uh, his, his entire demeanor and entrance is, 
was really as a kid was was threatening to me with you know with the mask and the way he wrestled and growing up with the big guys were like uh andre and king kong bundy and earthquake guys that just didn't really move and then you have big van vader doing moonsaults which you know at that time all i the only person i knew who did a moonsault was great muda i mean it, it was just it opened my eyes to a, a whole nother world yeah, I think you guys hit the nail on the head there with as far as the way he could move for a super heavyweight was the thing that really, even as a kid, uh, stuck out to you. The moonsault is what everyone would talk about. Um, ironically, he kind of developed the moonsault because he wanted a way to like steal the show even when he lost a match. So he would, he would miss the moonsault originally in a losing effort. And it got everyone talking about him, though, because you see this guy who's over 300 pounds doing a moonsault off the top rope when moonsaults weren't something you saw all that often in professional wrestling. So, uh, yeah, super agile for, for being a big guy. Some of that probably you know goes back to his days as an athlete. He was a really high-caliber athlete, a football player um, earlier on in his life, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But I did ask our listeners to send in what their favorite memories of vader were to our uh, twitter page at top rope nation i wanted to read a few of those here on the air and uh let me scroll down so our guy benny up there in michigan he said the vader cactus jack feud in wcw which like i said that was my favorite match of vader's the halloween havoc match um the texas death match Can um, I, jump in? I hate yeah. you know what's funny that ending of that match is really bad. Yeah, the, like with that the match taser. actually doesn't hold up. Yeah, like Harley Race busting out the taser is like kind of bad. Jack's working his way up. What has Race got in his hand? He's got some electric prodder. He stung him with it. He got him with bolts of electricity, Tony. And Vader's up. Vader's up at ten. This match is over. Ladies and gentlemen. Vader rose to his feet first. He wins the match, the Texas Death Match. Here is your winner, Vader. And it's kind of funny that match is is. It seems like um, when we critically reappraise things, it seems like that's been docked a little bit. When you go on either you know Twitter, people who share memories, or you know the PWO board. It seems yeah. like that's been docked a little bit. Wait, wait, what do you mean by that docked? Like it's not as revered as it once was. Like Meltzer gave it like four and three quarters at yeah. the time. And there's no way that's a four and three quarter star match, in my opinion. I was wondering at the time if it would have been five stars if it wasn't for the finish. And he do- he docked it at the time over the finish, possibly. Because it is a really good match up until that point. And uh, the, the thing to me that stands out about the match looking back is how – wwe or wwf at the time like never really followed up on that by putting them together in 96 like they had planned um when they got together you're gonna be a tag team in 96 and then that was going to spin out into a feud and it never happened so we never they had they had a series of matches in 93 and wcw and then wwe never recreated that when they could have yeah i mean they teamed up for a little bit 97 when they were both managed by paul bearer yeah. Those of, they, they were supposed to get the it was funny they were actually supposed to get the titles people forget about this at wrestlemania 13 but brett with his creative control card pulled a power play and said uh no keep them on owen and bulldog and we're reforming the heart foundation yeah yeah that's a good point so 
Um, but yeah, that I guess at the time I've watched it a long time, but at the time that was that was my favorite match of his. And I think the Sting feud, though, like if I had to pick a feud, I'd concur with you guys. They had a, a series of matches that were all very very good. Um, so Benny there though with the the Vader and Cactus Jack match. Uh, let's see, <laughs> this is kind of a funny one. Rob sent in a, a comment. My favorite memory is when he came back to squash Heath Slater. I squealed like a wee tot when his music hit. <laughs> That was in his uh, WWE comeback just a few years ago when he came back on Raw for that one match. Uh, this one, okay. Um, at its big grocery sent in, the Boy Meets World appearances. Honestly, in the 90s when wrestling was at a lower point as far as popularity goes, those appearances he made on Boy Meets World were actually pretty big time. I remember very vividly watching those because he kind of had a rec- uh, recurring role there, if I remember right. He was on several episodes, I think. Yeah, he was on multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was pretty cool to see a wrestler on there like that. Um, someone sent in a picture of him losing his eye, or not losing his eye, his eye popping out of the socket against uh, Stan Hansen. Kyle mentioned that match there in Japan. Uh, Matt sent in him doing the job for Ron Simmons, one of the most groundbreaking things in wrestling history, and also the Cactus Jack feud. Yeah, You know, as much as the Simmons title run did not work at all, in late 92, that was a great moment and a great piece of Bill Watts booking that show, how they took stay. It was supposed to be a rematch that night between Vader and sting Jake Roberts debuts, takes sting out. They have a special drawing then to see who challenges Vader and Simmons wins it. And then he wins the match. It was a really cool piece of television. Although Simmons, you know, was a terrible champion. (laughs) It's true. Uh, we've got Greg with Sting overcoming uh, in the King of Cable Finals. A beautiful match that told an awesome story. So Sting overcoming him there. Uh, Good take. Yep. Mitch Vader beating Sting in WCW was one of those shocking moments when I was a child. Sting could beat Flair or Luger, but how could he possibly overcome someone the size of Vader? Such a great time. Um, the smoking helmet, which we posted on our Twitter page earlier, which got a lot of discussion going, is mentioned. Oh, don't get me started, okay? <laughs> that's really, that's really <laughs> signal a downturn in yours truly's Thursday. Uh, but yeah, the, if if you guys know what we're talking about, it's the uh, the helmet Vader wore out in Japan um, in the late '80s. He brought that over to WCW, let out steam. Super cool look that Vader had. Um, I'm going to talk about in a minute how that came about when we kind of just go through his career a little bit. Um, someone said, Bruce said, Vader was the redefinition of the big man in wrestling. The power and agility was unheard of. Favorite moves were the Vader hammers and the moonsault. So good responses there. Um, I just wanted to talk briefly about like where he came from and where he went because a lot of people maybe don't know that he was a very successful football player and that's, of course, maybe where he gets that agility from that he was most known for. I mean, he was a very high-caliber athlete. Oh, uh, God, he played in the Japan Bowl. <laughs> University of Colorado, star offensive lineman, um, I think second-team All-American, uh, picked by the Los Angeles Rams. And his NFL career never really got going because he was injured. Uh, but he was on the Rams roster for several years before he kind of transitioned into professional wrestling. I think he was on the Rams roster for the team that made the Super Bowl and lost to the Steelers. It would have been the Steelers' fourth Super Bowl win, so yeah. it was like 79. 79 I th- but like he didn't Rams. play. Yeah, he didn't play on the team, but I think he was like tech- like a practice squad or 
was hurt or something like that. I can't remember. I could be wrong, but I don't think he actually ever played in a regular season game. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he did, but I think, like, yeah, it was practice squad or something like that. Yeah, so he he was picked in the third round, though, by the Rams in the 78 draft. Um, but, yeah, like we said, put on injured reserve, and he never really got going in the NFL. And then eventually he, he transitioned to professional wrestling, uh, obviously, and uh, he was a guy, like, kind of towards the tail end of the AWA um, he got in, in in Minnesota and trained. Um, he made his debut in 1985. We mentioned earlier kind of the names he went through early in his career. Baby Bull was his name in the AWA in 85. Um, but the thing that's really interesting about Vader is uh, just how successful he was on like multiple continents and simultaneously really too. Mm-hmm. You know, he held the uh, world titles in the United States and Japan and Mexico and Europe. And I believe at one time he had the Japanese, Mexican and European titles simultaneously. Yep. Three, three continents, which is pretty amazing. So you can run, run through the accolades. Three-time WCW champion, three-time IWGP heavyweight champion, um, UWFI champion in Japan, which was kind of like a shoot style pro wrestling promotion later on. Uh, the UWA champion in Mexico, which was uh, the top Mexican promotion at the time, and the CWA champion in Europe. So uh, over in Europe is you know kind of where he became a star. Well, actually, it happened in the United States, ironically. Uh, when he won his first world title, he uh, defeated Otto Vons in Denver, Colorado. And this was like right around the time of WrestleMania three in March 1987. Um, and that's when he became the CWA champion, which uh, that was a promotion kind of centered in Germany and Austria. That's when he had the name Bull Power and uh, definitely became a draw all through Europe. Uh, Otto Vons was like the top star in Europe at the time. So uh, Vader working with him really put him on the map. Anything to add on, on his European run? Anybody, Kyle? No, I haven't seen a lot of that stuff. I'll be very blunt with you. Yeah. So when it really got interesting is when he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling in 87 um, because, and I'm sure Kyle can tell this story too, uh, maybe Justin as well, Vader was, the, the, whole, the whole idea of this character, Big Van Vader, was planned and then they had like different men in mind for the role. It wasn't like Vader came there and, and he made up the gimmick. Uh, the promotion had the gimmick. Uh, they had started drawing up plans for like the helmet we talked about a second ago that let off all the steam. I think that helmet weighed like seventy pounds or something. It's like massive. You've got, you guys have probably all seen it at this point that are listening. But uh, they were they were considering Vader or Leon White as we know him, as well as two other men for the role of Big Van Vader. Does anybody know who the other two men were? I know Jim Helwig was one of them. Yeah, the Ultimate Warrior <laughs> was was supposed to be Big Van Vader, and he actually pulled out. So he would he would have originally been the guy to become Vader. Pulled out. Yeah, to well, go he to- also yeah he also yeah then you know uh, he went to WWF at yeah. the time too. That yep. was like on the time when he signed up. Yeah. So like this is like late 1987, um, and the other guy was the man who went on to become Sid Justice. Yeah, old Sid Udy, <laughs> yes. as Bruce Mitchell likes to write. Yeah, so this was actually like really interesting to me. I was reading, uh, you know, we've kind of railed on Dave Meltzer a little bit on the podcast of late, but Dave is at his best when he is writing his bios, When unfortunately, when someone passes away in The Observer. And he had a really good bio on, on Vader this week, and I thought the portion, I don't know if, what you thought, Kyle, but the portion about him going to Japan and... Uh, 
how he got this gimmick and how this guy at Takeshi Katana was involved. I did, I did not know anything about this story. Uh, had, had you ever heard of Katana before, Kyle? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, the, the main thing I knew about his early run there was the riot and how they got banned from Sumo Hall mm-hmm. uh, for two years. Like, I remember reading about the first time I read about that. I don't know if you guys got these at the time because I'm a little older than you. Those old PWI yearbooks. Yeah, yeah, I got a few of them, but uh, Kyle, oh, okay. or, uh, Justin, did you ever get those? I did not. Yeah, and, and it would like go through the years, and 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 I that was like I remember reading about that, like you know there was a riot in Japan, and then they were banned from their home building, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, that's what a crazy thing, you know. So yeah, well, that was uh, so I think that was Vader's first match in Japan, wasn't it? It was one of his first. Yeah, he totally uh, squashed Anoki. Yeah, that's right. And the, and the fans, it was it was what we call bad heat. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a mixture of like two different things that night because uh, this guy Takeshi Kitano was he was a television star in Japan. This is what I didn't know, and uh, he was going to be Vader's manager. So this gave the character like some mainstream publicity in Japan to make him a, just a massive star right away. Um, and uh, so like Kitano. I don't know, for the age of our listeners, we all remember Johnny Carson, uh, but I guess today, I don't want to say Jimmy Fallon, because Jimmy Fallon can't hold Johnny Carson's jockstrap, <laughs> but but uh, Johnny Carson was like the ultimate late night host here in the United States at the time and into the 90s, and Katana was like Japan's Johnny Carson. So you can imagine Johnny Carson managing a pro wrestler in like the 70s or 80s. That was like the kind of rub Vader got coming into New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then the riot that Kyle just mentioned happens, and Katano bails after that. <laughs> so he was only with Vader, like, right away. Um, and this was that match, again, that Kyle said that happened at Sumo Hall, where um, I think it was a mixture of two things. So, like, Inoki had defeated uh, Ricky Choshu, who was, like, the young babyface in Japan at the time that everyone wanted to see win. And uh, I think... Inoki beat him like six or eight minutes or something, like really quickly. And uh, then Vader came out and challenged him, and Vader squashed Inoki. And then there was this this big riot, and they didn't have wrestling at Sumo Hall for like two years after that because of the mm-hmm. riot. And you guys, if yeah. you follow New Japan today, they run Sumo Hall. Like that's one of the big shows. And that's where it happened. And um, yeah, so Katano bailed after that. I guess the I guess the riot kind of freaked him out a little bit. But I guess the people are mad probably because Vader squashed Inoki, this legend, in like one of his first matches. And yeah, I mean, Inoki didn't lose. Lost. I mean, anyone who follows, I mean, he didn't lose very often, let alone quick to a a guy made, you know, a, a relative new newcomer. Yeah, exactly. So it was it's quite the introduction for Vader, and uh, so he had he had this Katano, the television stars, his manager, and, and then he had Masa Saito as his handler, who then became his manager after Katano bailed, and then just Vader went on a roll for the next five years in Japan, and that's what really established him as a major draw. And we got into this discussion on Twitter, which Kyle mentioned, uh, kind of ruined his day earlier today with, with uh, one of our readers. But uh, yeah, that. In Japan, Vader was just a massive, massive star. Even when he went to WCW, WCW was in a down period at that time. In Japan, business was a lot better in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, this idiot on Twitter that we were arguing with, like, shares a picture of the Great American Bash 90. Okay, oh, I guess uh, you know, I don't remember New Japan running the Great American Bash. Well, nice fucking try, dipshit. Like, that was a <laughs> that show, which, you know, for me personally, 
was ironically the first time I ever got to see a Vader match was that show. He squashed Tom Zink. And there's an interesting story with that match alone, uh, that, that match that, you know, isn't talked about that much anymore, that it was supposed to be competitive, but Ole Anderson, who was booking at the time, hated Zink and just called an audible and told him to go home real early. And Vader just basically wanted, it was just like a total squash that you'd see on like Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the irony you know, that I'm going back to what you just said is WCW in 90 and 91 couldn't get Vader full time because of the money he was making in Japan. Yeah. He had kind of like a dual deal, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he, he did two one-offs. He did the Tom Zick match, the great American bash, and he did, uh, Hanson. He, he worked Hanson again after the famous match in Japan, they worked at wrestle war 91. Um, but other than that, I mean, yeah, it's pretty much Japan until he came in um, full time in the spring of 92 and they did the big injury and they did the big angle at the uh, I think it was the Omni with Sting mm-hmm. uh, when he kayfabe busted his ribs and then that built to the title change. So when when he when he crossed over to WCW, he brought that that famous helmet or like the 70 pound entrance gear like helmet thing he wore out that had this that breathed steam and everything. Uh, and then it was he, cool. Yeah, super cool, especially if you're a young kid like I was at the time. Um, and, and when I saw it later, even. But uh, like you mentioned on Twitter, Kyle, he had to stop using that in WCW because of legal reasons. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember. So I actually wa- I was watching the Sting series. Like I said, um, he definitely had it for the Great American Bash when he won the title. I don't think he had it though. It's Starcade later in the year. So, I mean, that would have been like six months later. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was it was gone pretty quick into his full time run. Yeah. And I know he had mentioned in interviews later on that he hated like dragging around that helmet <laughs> in the airports because it weighed so much money. It was just just a, you know, no pun intended. It was a beast to uh, travel with. So, yeah, that was in 90 then when he went to WCW. Um, so he debuted in like late 87 in New Japan, 88, 89. He was drawing huge houses working on top in Japan or close to on top in Japan. We're talking like 50,000 people multiple times, 60,000 people. Like Japanese wrestling was really hot at that time. And like Kyle alluded to a second ago, he he wouldn't work full time in WCW because he made so much more money in, in New Japan. Um, so in 88, it was really his... Uh, feud with Tatsumi Fujinami that kind of put him on the map, made him the big, big star in Japan after the, after uh, defeating Inoki in late 87. And so, uh, and then the Stan Hansen matches, which we talked about, you can look it up on YouTube. Yeah. That match where, where his eye gets gouged and the, his eyeball like pops out of the sack. It's one of the most gruesome things you could ever see in professional wrestling. Yeah, that match would not continue in 2018. No that way. Would, your boy, Dr. Chris Amon, would be in the ring pretty quick and uh, <laughs> put the kibosh on that. Do you remember the first time you saw that, Justin, where uh, Vader's eyeball got popped out? I don't think I've ever seen it, actually. Oh, my goodness. You have got to look yeah. this up. Yeah, we, 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 we'd be getting a, a, new, a No Way Jose conga line time killer if that was on a WWE. Oh, WF God. Movie. It is bad. It is really, really bad. And, yeah, Vader, like, pushes his eyeball back into the side. And it happens, like, really early in the match. And they, and they don't shave any time off that sucker. He, like, uh, Hanson, like, comes in with a punch, if I remember right. And, like, his his finger, like, hits the yeah, eye I mean, and it just was, pops yeah. it out. It's weird. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. My father-in-law kind of like Stan Hansen, by the way. Just unrelated note. <laughs> Doppelganger for Stan Hansen. He he totally does. Like it. Like when I like I I don't know what like made me realize. Like I just like watched an old Stan Hansen match once in the last like year or so. I was like, God, he looks like my father-in-law. So. <laughs> oh man. So. Uh, Vader, we talked about his title history. So he became like the first North American star to be IWGP, like the modern version of the IWGP champion, uh, which Meltzer really explained in the Observer this week. So the IWGP heavyweight title uh, originally was like a tournament title. And then it became like a standard world title when, when yeah, Vader it was like got when it. Hogan won it, it was a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Like 84, was it? 83 or 84 he won 184 because yeah but he was in he was in wwf by 84 so yeah it was, it was before that yeah. it was was it 83 might have been 83 yeah yeah so uh yeah vader became a three-time iwgp champion ironically well not ironically but impressively um he won it at the first wrestling show ever held at the tokyo dome in uh, april of 1989 they had an eight-man tournament uh, he wrestled three times that night, won the IWGP heavyweight title. Um, that just kind of cemented his place in Japan as the top foreign star for like the next decade. Um, even after he left WWF, he went back and worked Japan in the late 90s and actually had another pretty lucrative run in Japan. After, Yeah, he, had, yeah, he, he was, I mean, that was a stunning comeback Yeah, in that he had in 99 after, you know, you watch him. I mean, that last year in WWF was not pretty. I mean, he was out there calling himself... You know, saying I ain't nothing but a fat piece of shit on pay per view. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? Was that? I think that was. Was that unfor? No, it was over the edge when he loses to uh, Kane in a mask versus mask match. Ah, yes, that's right. I ain't nothing but a fat piece of shit. Me and my buddies like to say that to each other all the time. I- yeah, well, I mean, it's it's sad too looking back because he had he had bad depression. He was kind of an alcoholic. Uh, he had steroid problems, and it just. His booking in WWF was not what he could have been for a variety of reasons, like we talked about a second ago. And uh, yeah, he was down in the dumps, but when he went back to Japan in the late '90s, man, he he turned it around, and he was still a big star over there. So yeah, he. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention from his New Japan run uh, early was uh, the first, and there was actually a typo in the Observer here because I looked it up to see if this match was on YouTube, and then I googled a few more sources to make sure the youtube title was correct but it was the first g1 climax tournament it was actually 1991 the observer says 1990 but it was august 10th 1991 um and he wrestled uh muto in a pillow match or not in a pillow match in a in a match and then everyone calls it the pillow match because after the match um like all the fans went crazy throwing pillows in the air because the chairs had pillows on them. Um, was this at Sumo Hall? Or uh, where was this match at? Yeah, it was at Sumo Hall. Yeah, at Sumo Hall. Everyone had pillows on their chairs, at least on the lower level, because they're uncomfortable chairs. And they the match just at the ending made everyone just like throw their pillows in the air because I think Mudo won, if I'm not mistaken. And so, uh, yeah, that's like mm-hmm. one of the more famous matches of, of, his, of his Japanese run. And we, we talked about... His WCW run already goes to the WWF in 96 and uh, the Shawn Michaels situation. So would you guys say Shawn Michaels was responsible for derailing Vader's prospects in WWF? Because apparently, I mean, uh, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I mean, he pretty much didn't do anything after SummerSlam 96. Yeah. So 
I don't remember how this was thrown together, but I believe it was originally planned. So at Vader was supposed to wrestle Michaels at Survivor Series, win the title. Um, with the WWF title then becoming like the only major North American title he never won. Um, he was supposed to win it for Michaels at Survivor Series and then lose it back at the Rumble in San Antonio, like Kyle mentioned a second ago. Uh, but that was nixed by Shawn Michaels. Didn't want to do it. Picked Sid for the feud instead, and Vader never won the WWF title. They, ha- they had the match at SummerSlam there in Cleveland, Ohio, Kyle's backyard with the Gund Arena. It was Arena. not at that show. It was, that was actually the very first event in the Gund Arena. Why did which you is not, not go to that show? Arena. I don't know. You know, I... I don't know why I didn't. I that was really the low point of WWF for me that era, and I, I don't know. I just I just didn't. It's kind of crazy how I didn't go. I, I was watching wrestling at the time. I knew it was there. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that match uh, it's kind of infamous because Sean like blows a gasket during the middle. Oh, he of the throws match. the most all time temper tantrum <laughs> that match. Yeah, so Vader was known for being just an ultra stiff worker and. Uh, I don't recall what the move was that set Sean off. Do you remember? It was no, uh, Vader was not in position for, was I think Sean was going to do a moonsault. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. Vader was not in position. And so Sean kind of had to just jump down off the rope and he just started screaming at him. Like <laughs> clearly, like, like you do not have to really know the ins and outs of the greatest sport of them all to realize that one of the performers was having a complete meltdown in the match and berating the other guy for not doing his job. Have you seen this match, Justin? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I really don't remember much from it. It, It's coming back to me now because what what happens is I think Sean's on the top rope and Vader gets up and then Sean jumps down and then he starts screaming at him and he punches at him. And I think he's pretty stiff with his punches. He's kicking, yeah, he's kicking down. Yeah, no, Vader's on the ground and he's like putting the boots to him while he's yelling. And he's like yelling at him in between putting the boots to him. Yeah, that's right. And you might say like, what's a small guy like? I mean, Sean legit was probably, I don't know if he was much over 200 pounds at that time. And Vader's this big, massive guy. You're thinking, like, what's Shawn Michaels doing, like, screaming at this 350-pound mastodon? But ironically, Vader had the reputation of being, like, a really soft-hearted guy. Uh, Like, they called him the big baby backstage. I remember the line from Bret Hart in uh, Wrestling with Shadows. The first time I saw that, and they had the footage of Vader backstage talking when they're going through, like, the WWF roster. And they show like the clip of Vader screaming out in the ring, and then he's backstage, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I have my real estate degree and all this stuff." And I remember being like probably fifteen or sixteen years old, seeing that for the first time, thinking like, "What the hell? Vader is a real estate degree?" And then Brett's in the background saying, "Vader's just a big baby." <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, I don't know. He he wasn't a guy that would have fought back much, maybe in that situation. Well, Sean was the champ. I mean, Sean had a lot of clout at the time. Obviously, if yeah. you could get. You know, the program's changing. But like I said, look, I'm not going to defend Sean here directly. But like I said earlier, whether it would have happened at SummerSlam or then later at Survivor Series, which I know was next. That happened in the Garden. Late 1996, I can see from WWF's perspective why that would be the absolute worst time to put a named WCW guy over as your champion. Because that was the period, no matter what the, you know, the ratings, obviously, the gap did increase um, in 1997. But for me, late 96 was certainly the period 
where WCW was, was furthest ahead of WWF in my eyes, mm-hmm. creatively, um, just in terms of product quality. So, you know, for them to put a guy who would kind of been, you know, for lack of a better term, run out of WCW, eh, I, I get why they would have maybe had Kofi. And the, at the end of the day, this is one of people get so hung up. Oh, this guy was supposed to win and he did it. Bullshit. At the end of the day, it wouldn't have changed anything. Had Vader had a three-month run with the title, I, I honestly do not think it would have meant to Hill of Beans. So do you, do you think they wouldn't want to put the title on him because it would draw attention to WCW? I just, you, you just know how they are. Like, I mean, Vince is like, oh, this is WCW, you know. I mean, how many times has that been the rap? Oh, this guy, this is guys from another promotion. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, we're not just going to bring him in and have him beat all our guys. I kind of almost look at that from another perspective, though, too, is they would almost they could look at that as they got one over on WCW, too. Like uh, I was just rereading again uh, our buddy Liam O'Rourke's book on Brian Pillman and that that period where Pillman signs with WCW in 96 is so or I mean WWE in 96 is so interesting is because like the WWE felt like they were losing the war, which they were, and they were losing their stars, like Hall going over there, Nash going over there, and they offered Pillman, who was coming off that car wreck, um, such a good deal because they felt like they had to sign for someone from the other side. So do you think they could also have been looking at, like, or we got one of your guys and he's our world champion now? Uh, well, look at the ways they left, though. Pillman, it was, <laughs> you know, an all-timer, kind of creative how he basically booked his own way out of the company. Vader was, you know, fired. Right. And Pillman never wanted to leave WCW, though. He just, he got a better offer from the WWE. That's true, but Pillman was like a hot free agent. Believe it or not, Vader, while it made all the sense in the world for him to go to WF, and he was certainly viewed as a big signing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was pushed hard uh, up until the title match. Um, You know, I, I just, to me, I just see them not wanting a guy so closely associated with WCW as their champion at that time, mm-hmm. knowing Vince. Yeah. I and mean, I don't know Vince personally, but just kind of knowing his booking style and with outsiders mm-hmm. and guys from other promotions. Well, everything about that era is kind of fascinating. Just the way the, the contracts worked at the time, you know, like Liam talks about in the Pillman book, uh, how WWF contracts weren't usually guaranteed at the time, but WCW contracts were, which is one of the reasons Vader was, so happy in WCW uh, and working in Japan. He could make so much money, guaranteed money. Whereas in WWF, they would draw guys over on the lure like you have this, you know, downside guarantee and you can it's make more. It's an opportunity. More. Yeah, you can make you can make more if you're successful. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's fascinating. But the WWF run just never worked out for vader he wasn't he wasn't the kind of star that he was previously and maybe in a lot of people's eyes just like as an all-time great it, it devalued his career a little bit because um, if, if you cut off the wwf run and you just look at him like pre-96 there's no doubt he's an all-timer right <laughs> yeah i mean he's probably from 92 to 94 the top guy in wcw right i would agree uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he, in 92, he had the stuff with Sting, and then early 93, he was the champion in 90, throughout 93. I mean, the Cactus Angle got real goofy, and by goofy, I mean shitty in the summer with the amnesia angle. Mm-hmm. But, Off the concussion. You know, 
yeah, they they you know those are memorable matches. The two they did on Saturday night and then Halloween Havoc. Um, the, even the Davy Boy Smith matches are good in that summer, to be honest. Um, the Flair match is obviously very famous uh, for Flair putting his title on the line or career on the line. And then in '94, he was having good matches with freaking Ray Trailer, you know. And Dustin Rhodes, that you know, that's something that you know, as far as critical reappraisal goes. I mean, people love those Dustin Rhodes matches, particularly the Clash uh, match later in the year was kind of a, a real hidden gem as things were going dark for the Hogan Love Fest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hogan's feud with Vader was uh, <laughs> problematic. Yeah. Everyone remembers the no selling the power bomb, yeah, which was bad. I mean, I mean, that was like, I don't like ninety five. It's just the drizzling shits for WCW. <laughs> I know that like business wise, they were actually picking up, but God, it, it is like really like you talk about a promotion in a year that I have no desire to watch. Like the first eight months of nineteen ninety five WCW is so bad. Yeah, it's that period in wrestling just is is pretty bad overall. Yeah, WWF wasn't good either. I mean, no. that was honestly that was the that was the period that ECW was the top promotion in the United States. Oh yeah, and, definitely. And what did it take? You know, I mean, ECW was very good, and Heyman was firing on a lot of creative cylinders in that period. But I mean, it took WWF and WCW both being absolutely god awful for him to open that door and yeah. people to start wanting to seek out ECW. There, there was a desire to find something else because the big two were so bad. Yeah. No, it's, you know, Justin, when, when you and I became friends and we started talking wrestling, I always got the impression that you were kind of uh, almost like a WCW forward fan. Were you watching more WCW during that period than WWF? During 95? Yeah, or like 94, 95. I actually, I took a hiatus from wrestling from say 93 to uh what was wrestlemania 12 is that 96 yeah 96 yeah so i i took like a, a two and a half three year hiatus from wrestling during puberty <laughs> it was also some of the worst times in wrestling so it was, that was that was well placed uh, yeah it worked out in my favor yeah so you, when you came back that's when vader was just starting with wwf correct yeah, yeah so yeah i mean the when he came over, like I said, you know, a few minutes ago, they really they booked him strong at the beginning. Like that that angle with Monsoon was super memorable. I mean, what was the only other time Gorilla Monsoon was ever bumped on WWF television in his announcer days? I was trying to remember because that was definitely the last time. <laughs> yes, it only happened twice. I have no idea. Did you know, Justin? No, I don't. I do not remember. Brooklyn Brawler on 1989 <laughs> prime time. <laughs> You watched that the when, other night, didn't you? No, I I, um, I watched it not long ago, actually, but I, I knew that anyway. So it was when Bobby Heenan fired the Red Rooster, and they were doing a sit-down, Gorilla, uh, Rooster, and Heenan, and Heenan starts slapping Taylor, and Monsoon grabs Heenan and goes, what are you doing that for? And then out of nowhere, the Brooklyn Brawler come, debuting. You know, it, it, He had been, obviously, Steve Lombardi as a jobber for years. But he comes out in the Brooklyn Brawler garb and hits Monsoon with a stool and bump and Monsoon goes down. Hart sells it. <laughs> the Brooklyn Brawler. I'm not sure I've ever seen that. I don't, I don't, th- I don't think I've seen yeah. it. 
<laughs> it, it'll it'll shock you that like yeah like it was just because monsoon never got involved physically yeah uh, you know so it was shocking it's it, i almost think it's more shocking than watching vince mcmahon take that errant chair shot from roddy piper in the piper flare feud in late 91 yeah possibly <laughs> I don't. One of the things I wanted to mention quick before before we move on though too is that when Vader came over, it's it's interesting for the time period is that not just that he was booked strongly as a WCW guy right away at least maybe he wasn't in the long term or he definitely wasn't in the long term, uh, but also you know he kept his gimmick and everything. WWF was always known for changing gimmicks. Now you might think like, well, how could they possibly change mm-hmm. the gimmick of a guy who was such a big star in Japan? But they, they changed Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack was a well known commodity coming over too. And uh so I don't know. I looking back that's kinda interesting. It was definitely the right move, but uh it was kinda contrary to what their typical policy was then and even up until a few years ago. I mean Prince Devitt comes in and make him Finn Balor. Like they didn't they want to own the name typically. Right, and he became the man they call Vader. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, he he was the man they call Vader. (laughs) It was always one of the more curious uh, uh, names. I thought, yeah, like the man they call Vader. Like, (laughs) interesting that they would, you know, be so so kind to reference the man (laughs) who calls him Vader. You know, instead of just calling him Vader. Yeah. So, you know, lastly, we we have to mention the fact he's still not in the WWE Hall of Fame. Obviously, Leon had been campaigning for a wwe hall of fame induction and really he wasn't he wasn't out of line to be doing so he certainly belongs there um i have no idea why they did not induct him uh sean waltman was in the media talking about how he thinks the reason he wasn't inducted was because he was campaigning and that that kind of hurt his chances which i don't know whatever that could be true but uh <laughs> i can see that you know vin that's kind of like a vince oh yeah <laughs> Oh, you, you really want to go in? Well, guess what? You're not going to go in. You so know? Yeah, well, so he's almost surely going to go in <laughs> this year now. And it, it's kind of yeah. just like the Randy Savage situation. Like, Randy Savage wasn't in all those years. They should have inducted him while he was alive. He goes in right after he dies. Unfortunately, it's, it's going to be the same thing with Vader. Vader appeared at, at the Hall of Fame. He did the induction speech, speech, speech uh, in 2016 for Stan Hansen. So he was there, but... Uh, Unfortunately, did not get that induction. So, in closing comments before we go on to uh, these crazy NXT tapings happening right now that I think I want to hit right off the bat. Anyway. Who who cares about the Hall of Fame? Vader's a, he's an all timer no matter what. Yeah, that's true. I mean he he belongs there. Any true student of the sport knows he's one of the greatest big men of all time. So, uh, rest in peace to Leon White, one of the true legends of professional wrestling for for us and, and for everyone. So, all right, let's get to some modern wrestling here. Uh, so what's going on right now, uh, actually literally right now, is the NXT tapings at Full Sail. And so we are coming off of NXT TakeOver, which we discussed a little bit at the end of last week's show when we recapped Money in the Bank immediately after the show another awesome takeover event and it looks like a pretty newsworthy uh, show going on or shows i should say down in orlando tonight um we had kind of been predicting and by the way spoiler alert if you don't want any nxt spoilers you might want to fast forward a little bit right now that's your warning um but a couple weeks back we had been talking about what direction does this Chapa Gargano feud go in following TakeOver? And one of the conclusions that Justin came to, that I came to, 
we all said they got to make this a title feud. And it looks like that's where they're going. The question is going to be how quickly do they get there? Uh, so at the tapings tonight, Champa came out and basically challenged Alistair Black for a championship match. And I checked a while ago. I don't know if anything's happened since then. I don't know. Maybe Kyle's keeping tabs on the tapings. But uh, Justin, you're kind of our Alistair Black fan here on Top Rope Nation. How do you feel about a Champa alistair Black title match down the line? It depends on what they do with it, but I think it'd be fantastic. Uh, the the Alistair Black title reign kind of feels like a means to an end, or like they, they just feel the need to put it on him because he's over. I don't know how interesting it is. His match with Lars Sullivan was good outside of the one major botch. Um. NXT to me, it's all about Gargano Ciampa. I, I think it's one of the top five feuds slash storylines in WWE history. I, I think that's all that matters. And it, you can only take a big step by putting the title on Ciampa and keep it going. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. They're going to battle. I, I think everyone's going to assume title change in Brooklyn, and that does seem where they're going. They didn't do they didn't do anything else uh, on tonight's tapings, either Black or Choppa. Yeah, that was it. They just filmed one segment where Choppa challenged him. Uh, so, well, you know, there Chop, there will be more there will be ahead. more tapings, weren't they? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. this is just the first round. I mean, this will get them through. I mean. This probably got them through three shows next three weeks. Three maybe? shows, yeah, three weeks. So th- there will be another round of tapings between now and Takeover. But yeah, certainly they'll do something. But yeah, for the first three weeks, it's just one segment they did. And Champa had teased it on Twitter uh, that he was coming after Black. It was very logical. Um, I think the interesting question is, what do they do with Gargano at Brooklyn? Um, you know, to divert him. I was assuming it was going to be EC3, but they worked tonight at the tapings, those two. And Gargano, I believe, won pretty decisively. So I'm not sure who Johnny's opponent's going to be. Or if he's maybe he's not on the card. I, I don't know. I, that, that I was going to say, shame. I don't think that's important. It, the, the story with him is that Ciampa has kind of made Gargano lose his mind, you know, kind of gone into mm-hmm. the dark side a little bit. So I don't think it's important who his opponent is going to be. It's yeah, going mean, to be about him refocusing himself. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. I, you know, I had speculated on the show a few weeks ago that they could even do a, a title change on a television taping um, and then work towards Brooklyn being another Ciampa Gargano match. I, I don't see that happen because it would feel, even though we got two months until Brooklyn, uh, from a tapings perspective, you're only talking about a few nights tapings to get us to August. So I don't see that happening. But uh, yeah, the the black title reign is, has definitely been underwhelming. And uh, like Kyle, you alluded to, where do you go with Gargano, who's you know the top baby face on the brand for what is usually their second biggest show of the year? You'd Even their biggest, on... you could argue. You could argue Brooklyn's bigger than WrestleMania weekend for NXT. Just because it was kind of like their original big show. So it yeah. kind of has that yeah. lineage. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, 
I don't know. I, I can't imagine Gargano's not on the show, but uh, I don't, well, here's the with all the titles now, you've only got really room for one title match, and it seems that they're teasing an issue between EC3 and Velveteen Dream. So if those two work against each other, take over Gargano probably is off the card. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite frankly, yeah. I mean, if if they did switch the title the next set of tapings to Ciampa. You know, he'd only have the title I for a few weeks yeah. of TV. They they could, and then you could say, well, that doesn't leave him much build for Brooklyn as far as the tapings go. But they don't really need much build because they've been wrestling now for months. Uh, it's it's an option. I wouldn't be shocked if it happened. But, uh, yeah, you would think they would hold off Ciampa and, and Black until, until August. But we'll okay. to see what well, happens. Okay. I, I don't think we should do too much fantasy booking because wrestling fans do that too much in the first place. But I will just throw out there real quick. If they do a triple threat between Black, Ciampa, and Gargano, where the Gargano and Ciampa feud, you know, for some for whatever reason, interrupts, you know, their chances of actually getting the title. Yeah, that, I could see that's that. an option too. Yeah, I'd even think of the triple threat idea. That that would make sense. Yeah, they could do that too. So. I don't know. We've we've said it on the show many times recently that NXT is becoming more and more intriguing, and definitely the there fact was that a title change by the way tonight, which I'm not sh- one that did not shock me. Um, with undisputed era winning the tag titles back from uh, Mustache Mountain uh, after the title change of the UK, I think that was pretty predictable. That you knew that they had done the title change at the UK tapings just for those to give them something ha- happy. I think it was smart, but. You know, when I saw that on Twitter, um, it hasn't even aired yet. We'll get a chance to watch that next week, obviously. And then this title change um, doesn't take place for a few more weeks, it seems. Um, I, I was figuring that Undisputed Era would get him back. Mm-hmm. And they did. That was the other big newsworthy item, I think, to come out of the tapings. Yeah, there's, man, there's so much going on in WWE right now. We haven't hit that at all. The NXT UK announcement. Uh, we've got the UK special airing next week on Monday afternoon. And it looks like they're taking over Japan too. They got to deal with Noah. Yeah, they made the working agreement with Pro Wrestling Noah yeah, talent I exchange. Think all, yeah, all of a sudden here. Uh oh. And then also we've got, but then we also still have uh, the guys from the Elite, Omega, the Bucks, and them in the New Day wanting to do a match. And they're in the media talking about how they need to drop the us versus them mentality and let them do an interpromotional match, which would obviously be drawing a lot of eyeballs. So that's out there. Um, they announced the the next May Young Classic today. That's coming in August. Oh. And speaking of, uh, that is the, that's the other newsworthy item, I guess, coming out of these tapings, is that the uh, it'll be a rematch of the final of last year's May Young uh, classic at takeover uh Kyrie Sane is going to challenge Shayna Baszler at takeover that they, they did the, set that match up tonight very I like that a lot because Kyrie hasn't really had much of a chance to shine yet and uh it should be a damn good match so yeah a lot of I was just going through the names earlier today of you know all the people that are in the May Young classic last year in an article I was writing for pop culture and uh a lot of big names came out of that tournament. A lot of big names heading into the tournament. You know, it's going to be pretty interesting to see who they select for this year's field of, what is it, 32 people, I think? 32 women? So, it'll be interesting. I think uh, they'll probably be bringing in some people from Japan, UK, all over the world, uh, the indie scene here in the United States. So, 
we'll see what happens. So, uh, Raw, let's hit on just a couple of big points and where we're going for extreme rules. So, um, Ronda Rousey, guys, she's oh, what a suspended. She is suspended. <laughs> what did you guys think of that on, on Monday night? It, it's fantastic. I, she's doing such a good job. Her outside of Sasha Banks, I don't know if any woman is selling as well as she is right now. Um, and it's a good use for her. I mean, putting her against, you know, one of the few wrestlers in, in all the wrestling that gets actual heel heat. Uh, it, it's great. I mean, I, I think the fans will actually cheer for her. It's, it's the, the mirror image of Roman Reigns. <laughs> Yeah, it is a perfect pairing for that feud. So, yeah, I thought the segment was was really really good. Obviously, she got her hands on Alexa on Monday night, gave her the power bomb through the table, which was an awesome spot. The whole backstage interaction with Kurt Angle and getting suspended. So, you could see the suspension coming, right? Like midway when oh, she was yeah. hitting Angle with the briefcase. I'm like, okay, they're gonna do a suspension angle to get her off TV for a month. But it's really good how you've set the two matches up. You know, for Alexa, she's got Nia. And Extreme Rules, I think we all assume she's somehow going to retain. Uh, and then it's going to be Alexa and Ronda at um, SummerSlam, which, you know, the dynamic there should be great. Yeah. So we had that on Monday. We had the announcement of the, the five-way match at Extreme Rules to determine uh, Brock Lesnar's next challenger. So this will be, what, his second challenger since WrestleMania, I believe. Uh, yeah, well, the only <laughs> other show he's worked is the greatest. He hasn't worked since the greatest Royal Rumble ever. Right. So his, his one challenger since uh, Mania was against his WrestleMania opponent, Roman Reigns. So his uh, second title defense in uh, what will be almost five months by the time we get to SummerSlam. So, uh, who do we think this? Who who do we think is going to be in this? Because we got Roman in the match. We got Lashley. We got three other guys. Kyle, what do so you think? glad that I'm so glad I'm the resident hype train driver for Bobby Lashley. This guy. I told you he would get over. I thought I thought that segment, and by the way, give the Revival credit. They, in a spot where, you know, no one really bought them as having a chance, they got like that near fall, and the crowd bought it. They did some good work in that match, I thought. But then, you know, the ending was really great with Lashley tagging himself in and hitting the badass spear. Bobby Lashley is the real deal, and I've been saying it since day one. <laughs> to be clear here, were you saying he would get over or that he was over when he signed? Because I remember this conversation a little differently. Oh, you do? <laughs> this guy is this guy is great. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, because I was pretty vocal that he, I thought at the time when they signed him and they brought him back, he's not as big of a deal as they think he is. I didn't say he wouldn't get over, but... Man, it's been underwhelming for for quite a while now. Uh, he started. He is well, starting to hit a stride, though. Yeah, I mean that the material was not good. And by the way, we, you know, um, Hart goes out to Sami Zayn, who apparently is going to be out the rest of the year. <sighs> I was going to bring that up. Justin, is, Justin is one of our big Sami Zayn fans here on the broadcast. If you guys are long term listeners, as you know, what, what was your reaction, Justin, when you heard your man Sammy was out for eight months or whatever it is? Uh, this is going to sound awful, but happy. Whoa, what? <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> it, 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 for him as a human being, 
I, you know, I hope he's okay and everything. But, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, I have never been a, a big Dean Ambrose fan, but I am actually getting kind of pumped for his return. I think Sammy just got fed to Bobby Lashley to get him over. So he could probably use a big break and, you know, I, I think it'll be a Depending on what they do, obviously, I think it could be a big deal when he comes back. That's actually not a bad point. You know, I mean, if if he wasn't going to be featured, pro- and who knows what the plan would be when he even comes back, he may not be featured probably then either. But, you know, if he's just going to be used to put other guys over, you know, it sucks because he, he's a good, like I said, he was given shite material during the Lashley program. And I think he did his best, you know, which probably helped his stock in the company. So, but yeah, your absence does make the heart grow fonder in this company. So that Maybe is he true. Can, he, he can go argue with big Cass about Donald Trump now more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big Cass is, uh, he's gone. He's a goner. Yeah. You guys, he will uh, not be in, the, in this five way. He will not be missed. Um, so, all right. L- l- you, you asked a question a few minutes ago and it was a damn good question. We have not even attempted to answer it quite frankly, who else is going to be in this match? Um, I, you know, Meltzer's putting like Strowman and Owens. I, I think those two are going to be programmed separately. And there's no real point for Strowman to be in the match since he's already got a guaranteed shot. Like, right. why would he, yeah. like, looking at this in a kayfabe sense, like, why would Braun Strowman want to get in this match and try when he's already got it, what they're competing for? Right. It made absolutely no sense for Strowman to be in this match. So, I mean, he could be. I mean, again, I mean, that's not stopped them from doing it. He might be, before, yeah. It wouldn't make yeah. sense, so, so logically. The most appealing option for me from the other is Drew McIntyre, who I think the crowd is ready to, you know, uh, see him do something, you know, more serious. So he would be a breath of fresh air, I think, in this match to me. I, I would like to see, if you ask me who would you like to see in this match, Drew McIntyre gets my nod. Okay, so there's your third. We got two more spots open. Um, I think Finn Balor's an option, but he's kind of got an issue with uh, the great Constable Corbin. True. You know, so yeah. I mean, Corbin's gimmick doesn't make sense being in that match either because he's an authority figure, so he shouldn't really be competing for a number one contender spot. So I could see Balor and Corbin doing a singles match too. Um, and then I guess that would leave us, you know, Jinder Mahal, who did win an extended squash on Monday over Chad Gable. Um, although he's kind of, it seems like they're going back to his old gimmick, you know, of a few before he came back of the namaste stuff. You know, I that, that's not a good, that, that's not an upper card gimmick. Um, and Bobby Roode, he also won a squash Monday um, over Kurt Hawkins. And, I mean, he needs a heel turn, but, you know, I could see Roode being in there too. Mm-hmm. As the as the third, I, I, I if you, if you made me guess, I'm going to go McIntyre, Jinder, and Rude, because I think Ziggler and Rollins, which I know we need to get to, um, it may be those two and Elias in a three way for the Intercontinental Title. That is a pretty from a from a star perspective, that is a pretty underwhelming fatal five way match. <laughs> I've got to say, <laughs> I may, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, you got Roman and Lat. I mean, I don't I'm not know. saying you're bottom- wrong. I'm just saying it's underwhelming. Who would you put in that? No, I Rollins, I would- Balor. 
Well, Balor for sure, I would think. But I, I you made you made a case though, like logically, logically, what you said makes sense. So I, I think there's a there's a pretty good chance that'll happen. I'm just saying that from a well, star standpoint, man, that is underwhelming. But that's where if they're at Jinder, right now. If Jinder and Rude aren't in the match, what like what do you do with them? Is my thing. Like to me, like they they are throwaway guys for a Fatal Five Way, and maybe this could segue into the Intercontinental discussion, but. It seemed that they were kind of teasing the show versus the shield long term. Yeah. Well, I think this discussion goes hand in hand with the IC title picture thing because with with Rollins dropping the IC title, and we know he's getting the rematch on Monday, but as of right now, he's not the Intercontinental Champion. I was under the assumption that he probably dropped the title to move up on the card. So if that's the case, yeah, I would think he I would be in the five way. S- that's okay. If Rollins is in the five way, does he win it? Like the only like he's the only other guy who could win it besides Roman and Lashley. Right. I think Roman would be a bad option. Yeah. I just think that I think the Roman Lesnar match, even if they did a Strowman cash in afterwards, the it would just piss the crowd off so much. It will not be over in Brooklyn. It'll be WrestleMania all over again, so um, I don't think that's a good option. No, I think I think uh, Rollins Lesnar is the match they should do. I've said it multiple times. Okay. Yeah, I, okay. at SummerSlam, and that crowd will be super hot for Rollins if he's challenging. And uh, that's true. Roman is not going to work. I can't. They're super dense if they think they can do that match yet again at the second biggest show of the year. So if we look at these other names in that match to determine the challenger. Like I said, they're pretty underwhelming. So I think if you look at those names that we ran through, like nobody's going to buy that any of them are going to face Lesnar at SummerSlam. Well, to me, Other I just than thought like Reigns. Yeah. Yeah, Reigns or Lashley. Lashley. I just thought it would kind of come down as like the fact that they announced those two ahead of time. Yeah. Very much spotlighted them as mm-hmm. the main two guys in the match if if lashley catches fire in the next few weeks i could see him doing lesnar lashley because that makes sense from a, a lot of different <laughs> perspectives but that's a big if um mm-hmm. I, I still i still got to go with rounds lesnar is if is the he's money caught match. fire this man's already caught fire oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> this guy is a big fan vader 1989 right now man he's yeah. just going crazy what, what do you think justin give us your input on on the fatal five way and and SummerSlam. I can't help but think the fatal five way is irrelevant with Braun winning the money in the bank and with him being the big baby face. I I think it just has to be a straight up cash in for him, like him saying I'm cashing at SummerSlam because Brock's going to be there because it's, you know, the second biggest event of the year. Would that be a triple threat then, though, since this is to determine the challenger? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I, I agree with you, but it, it's very clear that they're establishing this as, well, I guess it's not clear that they're doing it for SummerSlam. Yeah. But you would assume it is. Yeah, since it's the next big show. Unless they force him to do a Monday Night Raw match, which maybe uh, if I, uh, Bobby Roode wins the match, they could do that. I guess I, I'm feeling a little jaded from all these. And, and don't get me wrong. I love triple threats. I love fatal four ways. There's too many. You're right. I, I am it, so jaded on these multi-man matches. It feels like it, it's every other pay-per-view. We're getting like a five-man match. Yeah. You know, actually something you just said, Justin, brings us full, full circle and maybe shows a problem with money in the bank. 
I think a lot of us feel that's the case that Strowman hanging out there, Strowman should face Lesnar. Like other than Rollins, he's the best option and maybe he's the overall best option. Uh, then why did he win money in the bank? Like he shouldn't have won money in the bank. We, t- we talked about that on uh, the show we did before money in the bank, like kind of our de facto preview show that Braun didn't need the gimmick. And now that he has the, now that he has the briefcase and if they are going to crown a number one contender, like that kind of puts them in a bad spot because <laughs> you have this guy out there who is the hot name to face. Yeah, Brock it's Lesnar. kind of like a lame duck contender that no yeah. one wants to see. Win. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't really need that, and maybe he should be in the in the situation of winning this match. And like, well, maybe he will be in the match, but if he is in the yeah. match and he wins, then why does he need the briefcase? I don't know. There's some problems there. Unless if it's Rollins, I can see a scenario where the crowd just is cheering for Braun Strowman to come out and cash in. Yeah, and that's well. That's are you true. talking about SummerSlam? So yeah, that would yes. actually bring it full circle with Seth Rollins too. When he won the title the first time back mm-hmm. at Mania 30, when it was Reigns and Lesnar, now you've got Rollins and Lesnar, and Braun does the same thing to him. I could see that. So, what did we think? So you know, you guys, we had a little texting going on on Monday night. The Ziggler win caught me off guard. Sir, I think it caught everyone off guard. Um, but as much as I have been very critical of Dolph Ziggler through the years, I liked the story they told of the kind of cocky and injured Rollins, you know, stupidly doing the open challenge and paying the price for it. Oh. Uh, okay. I, I like I liked the story. Like in from a kayfabe sense, because when you do those open challenges, realistically, if you look at it, like if a guy comes out and like as a surprise and he loses it worked with Cena cuz Cena's such a made guy but when like that guy loses he really doesn't look good you know mm-hmm. like if a guy if the champion keeps retaining in that scenario it's not really believable so i thought the again i i've been very critical of Dolph Ziggler but i thought the story was actually good i didn't don't like the performer but i like the story i don't know man Kyle being kind of pro Ziggler here. I feel like I just got thrown through a barbershop window a little bit. <laughs> I'm pro story. This company tells stories, man. So, what? okay, the extent of the story to me is uh, Rollins pulled the tights to get the win on Elias. Ziggler did the same to him. Yeah. So, great, great storytelling. No, the story was that he was hurt and shouldn't have done the chat. Like, you know, he was a little, he got a little too big for his britches, as Jim Ross said. Yeah, the story, the story made sense. I agree. I like the story. I I probably would have picked someone other than HBK Light to uh, dethrone Seth Rollins. Well, I think. Okay, no, hold on. Okay, maybe that's my problem with it is that they have Dolph Ziggler's partner right there, which would have been a thousand times more interesting than. Ziggler holding the title again. Yes, I agree. It's true, but you know what? I think it's going to elevate them as a unit higher. And Raw is weak on the heel side, and they need these guys um, as a unit, I think, at least at first, um, to be elevated up. Because like you said, you know, you know, gender is gender, and he, he, I think he's just got a certain ceiling to him. Um Owens seems to kind of be sliding down the depth chart. So there's really, I mean, in terms of a full-time heel, 
you don't really have anybody at the top. So you needed to try somebody new. And, you know, again, you know, I, I think Drew has given Dolph kind of a rub to make him a little more interesting. I, I agree it has got more interesting. I just, I can't help but look at this thing and, and it's just yet another clone of something Shawn Michaels did with, with the Drew McIntyre thing and now he has his diesel. It's, it's it is like a Dolph Ziggler's I mean, it's a, it's a entire career is a copy I mean, it's a huge of, of Shawn Michaels. Yes, yes, it is. But, um, yeah, it is, but whatever. I mean, it's know, more interesting though. There's I lots agree. of guys that borrow. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I, you know, at first when they announced that it was a rematch. I just thought Rollins might be winning it back, but I don't know. Elias is kind of in the background there. Even though, and Elias too, he, maybe he's in the five way. Cause he sang a song about Brock Lesnar. I mean, and if that's not a reason to get you in the match, I don't know what is. Yeah. I, I could see Elias in it. I, I honestly, the fact that you brought up Elias, I was wondering if Elias would have been a better, a better person to defeat Rollins for the title than Dolph Ziggler. Well, he had just lost him though. So that wouldn't have, I mean, I well, guess he could have uh, yeah. just come yeah, I know, but, but... It, like, if he would have actually won the title then in the match, in the match mm. that they had the night before, yeah, I don't know. I I, I didn't mind this again. I I, I keep an open mind. <laughs> you are you are the guy who once proclaimed on this show that Dolph Ziggler is such an idiot. He probably thinks that he's probably one of those idiots that thinks there's a war on Christmas. So you have come full circle on him. I didn't say that. Yes. Well, you know, <laughs> I'll look past it for a day. I'll tell you what I won't look past. So there's one thing, one more thing I want to talk about. I'm going to get wrong. This Banks, the Sasha Banks Bailey feud is fucking atrocious. Oh uh, yeah. It yeah. is like, we, we can all rib on the Lashley Zane feud, but it was like at least short. It was just basically one pay-per-view cycle. This thing is awful. And, <laughs> The problem is Meltzer hit the nail on the head. They both come across as unlikable. And so it makes the feud very bad. Like, as a viewer, who am I supposed to cheer here? You know, Bailey just kind of comes across as this, like, wimpy, defeatist person who wants to be friend, you know, who wants her friend back. And Banks just kind of acts like a bitch towards her for no reason. It's like, I'm sitting here watching my cool, like, I thought for sure, I don't know about you guys on that Bailey and I give you Ryan credit because you brought up this scenario months ago was going to do a monster heel turn that Mm -hmm. she had asked banks to be her partner so she could turn on her. Yeah. I I mean, I was like certain that was going to happen and that would have been intriguing, I think. But what they did was just more of the same. And like, you know, we're supposed to forget that they got into that backstage brawl once before, I think. You know, they're always like, oh, these two really just can't get on the same page. These two friends. It's like, well, they got to a freaking backstage brawl once. And it was kind of dropped. So I just, I don't know. I think Bailey not doing a mega heel turn Monday night was a missed opportunity. And this feud stinks. Yeah. As presently constructed and presented, Bailey is not going to be at the top of the women's division ever on the main roster. She needs a major shakeup and... Like I mentioned a long time ago, I thought a heel turn would do it. They haven't really pulled pulled the card on that. And yes, it's, it is a terrible, terrible feud. <laughs> I, I almost think they like screwed like by not doing it Monday. Like, I don't know if they can do it again. Yeah. Really? I mean, I guess they could, but ugh, I don't know. Yeah. It's going nowhere. And it's been dragged out for months and months and months. And it's nothing I'm getting particularly excited about. So. Oh. 
One thing I did get excited about was that gauntlet match on SmackDown, though. Oh, that was very good. The Daniel Bryan show for at least about a half hour. <laughs> he he started out this gauntlet match with Big E. Um, that spear was insane. Oh like, my I mean, god! Are, are we just not doing concussion tests on Daniel Bryan <laughs> anymore? Or is he just confident he's going to pass him? Like when he hit him, like I'm like, and maybe part of that is why I I'm so emotionally into his matches. Like even the big cast one, um, at, at uh, Money in the Bank, is because I'm like, oh god, don't get hurt, you know? Yeah. And he took that. I'm like, Jesus, man! Like, what do you like? Because that's a six spot anyway. Mm-hmm. But you know, man, did Biggie dial that up to eleven? Yeah, no, that was uh, honestly that that whole thing kind of showed the uh, the world what we could see from Biggie later on because. We talked about on the show how Big E could be a major single star, and I think a lot of people think that. And uh, he had a really great series there with Brian in that match. And uh, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the match, go out of your way to watch it because uh, I think I think they gave him forty five minutes to end the mm-hmm. show. It started like uh, fifteen minutes after the hour in the second hour, and Brian was in there for a half hour straight. Started out the match, and uh, man. <laughs> It's just, I think you said it on the show last week, Kyle, that uh, he's like the best in the world, and he is. I mean, he's he's been back two months, and I think you could firmly say he's, he is one of, if not the best performers in the world, once again, already. The announcers, I didn't think, did a good enough job putting over the finish to the uh, Brian Joe segment. Yeah, the count out. Yes, because Joe had him in the lo- had him locked in in the choke and what he was doing was, and that they didn't call that attention. You know, they were like, Oh God, they could, there could be a count out here. What Joe was doing was trying to choke him out. And then like at eight or nine, he was going to release and then just dart back in the ring and Brian would be out. But then that, and I was like, Oh God, are they like, I was like, okay, that's a finish. And then Brian did that reversal where it totally backfired on Joe. And I'm like, that was freaking awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. That was so great. And then, you know, obviously it leads in. Um, we'll talk about the Bludgeon Brothers in a minute, but, you know, it leads, they come in, they interfere, and then it leads to, you know, the Miz getting the cheap pin on Brian, which was the right way to go in that situation. Obviously, it draws heat for a future match. And, and personally, I don't know about you, I was stunned Rusev beat Miz. I thought once it came down to Miz and Rusev, I'm like, all right, well, Miz is clearly winning. And when Rusev hit that kick and then got him in the accolade, I'm like, Holy shit, they're pulling a tr- the trigger on Rusev Day. And, um, you know, we've got Rusev, Challenger of the Month. Don't think he's going to beat AJ, but it uh, should be a damn fun match. Yeah, no, I I was surprised, but I liked it. Unpredictable and uh, great reaction to Rusev winning the match. And uh... you know what's, So I want to throw this to Justin. Like, Rusev, they try to shoehorn him as a heel a lot, even though he's very clearly over as a babyface. And that was very much a babyface win on SmackDown. So I'm very interested to see how this feud is portrayed on television. Is it going to be like a babyface versus babyface match? Are they going to shoehorn Rusev as a heel? You know, I, I think that's interesting to watch. I think that speaks to a greater problem with the WWE in general right now is that you hear rumors of Vince only wants gray area, you know, good or bad, especially when it comes to like Roman Reigns. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? And sometimes stories don't make sense unless you have a clear defined 
good guy and a clear defined bad guy. And I think right now they're portraying Rusev as a full on good guy. And unfortunately it's two months later than it should have been, but, but they're finally going full bore with it, I think. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I guess my problem is just confusion with these characters in general. There's only, there's only a handful of guys that I think you can say without a doubt they are good or bad. AJ's a good guy. And I think he's taking on Rusev, who is a crowd favorite, and he's not cheating right now. So <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, I'm very interested to see what the reaction is going to be for the live crowd for the match. The match is going to be good regardless, but I'm very interested to see who the crowd favorite is in Pittsburgh. It's kind of interesting how they did that. Like you guys said, Rusev came up as a baby face, but then Aiden English still played kind of the heel role yeah. at the end of the show. Well, there's been, you know, they hinted on it. I don't know if they've dropped it or they're saving it for a later date. They remember Lana came in and did that interview with Rusev where she talked about something holding him back. And it was very clearly intimated that it was Aiden English. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's something to watch moving forward, too. Yeah. So who's Brian's partner? Yeah, that's what I was going to throw it to next. Yeah, yeah so we played the guessing game for the the five the five way for Raw. What do we think about Daniel Bryan Bludgeon Brothers feud? Is this going to be like a tag title match at Extreme Rules? Is it going to be like a multi-person match possibly with like Miz and the Bludgeon Brothers and like maybe Joe against Daniel Bryan and the New Day? Um, like they could do like, a, you know, it's Extreme Rules. They could do like an eight-man bunkhouse brawl or something, I guess. But um, who would you guys, let, let's say that it's a tag title match. Who would you like to see be Daniel Bryan's partner? Big Cass. <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest thing they could do would be bringing John Cena. Um, but I don't know. He's filming a movie overseas right now, I think. So I don't know what his, yeah, his schedule is. He's got a busy schedule. Yeah. And he's getting a vasectomy or a reverse vasectomy. <laughs> so he might have like some uh, peas out of the freezer on his man parts and the oh my ice god what if nakamura did his low this would be the perfect time how, how oh much my god they brought him in a nakamura that is patented low blow to him oh, that means they'd have to build it up in wwe television as john cena had a vasectomy re- reversal surgery recently yeah and the, the other thing too is with cena like if you bring him back like they would have to win and i can't see john cena coming back and doing like a tag team championship angle. No, so I think I think you're probably onto something with like the multiple team or multiple person angle. Because I don't know, I don't see Daniel Bryan in a tag title match. I feel like this is going to turn into something else in the future. I, I I have a name I have to throw out there that I'm not happy about having Uh-oh. to throw out there. Randy the Orton. Randy Orton. So yes. Oh. He's hurt still. I think. I, I is don't he? Think- yeah, I think he's still hurt. The two, I thought you were going to name Kane for the team, who, who is, of course, busy himself right now being the mayor of Knox County, but they could do a Team Hell No reunion. <laughs> it would draw one night pop. He's not the mayor yet, but he's waiting on it. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, that's right. I apologize. No, he won the primary, but he'll, yeah, he'll right, win because it's a yes, super yes. conservative county, so he will for sure win when it happens. Okay. Yeah. Um, or a name that you have not heard on SmackDown very much recently shane mcmahon 
Daniel Bryan's old buddy. Yeah, that would make sense. And would Shane turn? Hmm. Because we all thought the the turn was going to happen earlier, so it could happen. Yeah, they never did. Because, like, it really seems that they're, and, and credit them, they're being disciplined with keeping Brian and Miz not going to that program right away. If Shane were to come in and turn on Daniel Bryan, just speculating here, this is fantasy booking alert. That would be a way to divert Brian Moore. He's not a tag team champion. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think this whole thing is, is by the way, has come about because Big Cass got fired. What do you think? It, okay. As far as Shane McMahon and a build with Daniel Bryan, and more specifically with Daniel Bryan, it all comes down to if he re- re-signs and if they're going to build Brian Miz for WrestleMania or if they're just going to need to get it in by SummerSlam. And if it's for SummerSlam, then they only have two months to get that done. Mm-hmm. That's true. So they would need to start building that story sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with Kyle. It, it does seem kind of out of nowhere. And with the big cast situation, yeah, it's it's probably kind of thrown together because when Brian had like the face off with the bludgeons earlier in smack, like that was way out of nowhere. <laughs> and yeah, then I mean, the finish it, made sense to, to get rid of Brian mm-hmm. in the match, but, uh, well, you, yeah. okay, real quick. It wasn't like out of nowhere in a way, but I mean, if, if you want good storytelling, they have a history. Brian was part of the Wyatt family. I mean, My they could have done, done something with that. Yeah. Have they never forgiven him for that 2014 turn? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anyone on the writing team that was even around at that time? <laughs> There's a few. Yeah, There's a few. Yeah. Not the guy who wrote the big cast promo, though, apparently. So yeah. That, um, uh, that didn't go over well. But but that's the thing. To me, this whole thing has come about because big cast is go- like, I cannot think that of, like two months ago they were sitting back and being like, all right, stream rules. Daniel Bryan's working the Bludgeon Brothers. No. Like, yeah, no you know, way. like, because th- I also think that there was no way when they started this Daniel Bryan big cast program, the plan was let's have Bryan submit him back to back pay-per-views. I think cast fell out of favor after that infamous promo with the little person. And they just said, fuck it. We're not do whatever our plan was. We're not doing it. Big Cass is he's getting beat twice and he's out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost seemed like Cass should have won that match, and then they set up the the third match for Extreme Rules before Brian yeah, moves on to something yeah, else. I was, I think you know, we were, we were all assuming Cass was going to win at Backlash. Yeah, yep. like I was shocked that Brian tapped him clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing was been kind of <laughs> out of right field. So I don't know that. I guess it's interesting because we don't really know exactly where they're going. Um, we do know where the U.S. title picture is going, though, because we've got uh, Jeff Hardy and Nakamura on the horizon. So, Kyle, you wrote in the show notes, Nakamura falling down the card. So, failing down. Or failing, failing down, down the down. card. Yes, failing down. Yes, the old, well, I lose the world title match, so now let me get a U.S. title match. <laughs> I, I've never been a fan of that booking, although I did like how they had the issue from before the pay-per-view with Jeff Hardy kind of pissed that he got punched in the ball. Yeah, so... Yeah, I whether it's because of the video game announcement, I, I've I've read that some people have said the reason AJ kept the title is because he was getting this announcement for being on the video game cover, so they didn't want him to lose the title. Whatever, 
Nakamura got the uh, short end of the stick in the feud. He was he was hot off the heel turn, never got the world title victory. Now he's going down the card. Um, Jeff Hardy, you didn't like that promo, Kyle? Oh, that was awful. <laughs> Some people were going crazy over the face paint returning for Jeff Hardy. I mean, that's I fine. liked it. Yeah, I, th- I thought Justin would like it. Justin, you are the man who at our former part-time job used to do swanton bombs in the storage room onto boxes of cardboard. This oh, guy I was extreme. It all now. This guy was extreme, man. Oh, yeah. Resident Mark. <laughs> I have heard it all about swanton bombs. Oh, yeah. Room. Like off of a, God, I don't know, a five-foot shelf of wood. <laughs> uh, cinder cinder blocks. blocks. That's right. There used, to, there used to be pictures of this. I don't know if they're still in existence or not. I could maybe add them to our bio page on topropenation.com. Oh, was I supposed to get to that or something? <laughs> you guys have not sent me your bios. I just wrote like placeholders there. They're not bad, though. They're still there. But I did have a picture of us in New Orleans at the bottom, if you guys haven't checked that out. So that well, is on the About Us page, the, about the hosts on toprobenation.com. Okay. For, for my bio, just put the lyrics to Poison's uh, stand. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What will happen first? Me sending Ryan a bio or Andrade Almas actually wrestling Sin Cara. <laughs> because they keep teasing it every week, you know, like they, you know, Andrade Cien Almas and Zelita Vega, they are disgusted that they about uh, Sin Cara's excuses and they want this match and it's going to happen next week. And then it doesn't happen next week. Yeah. I know Sin Cara was kind of banged up and maybe that's why, but I want to see that match. I want to see Almas get a push. He was my choice. It was funny before the show um, Tuesday. I was like, all right, who's Jeff Hardy's opponent going to be? Because he didn't work Money in the Bank. I was like, you know, I'd love to see Almas, you know, just come in, beat Sin Cara, heat up, and him be the U.S. title contender. Yeah, I, Almas has a high ceiling. I could see that. But I don't know. I don't know how high of a ceiling they think he has. Yeah. When, you know, I mean, he's kind of been persona non grata. Mm-hmm. That shocks me. It really does. I mean, there's some NXT guys where, you know, like Ty Dillinger, I'm not really surprised that he didn't get much of a shot on the main roster. But all this, I mean, with Vega, it's like, come on, man. I mean, it's there. Yeah. No, completely agree. Big fan. So hopefully as the summer goes on, they do something with them. But right now, the uh, odds are not looking good. So, all right. This has been a hell of a show. We have hit on... This might be the most topics we've ever covered on a single edition of the show in the entire 62 episodes we have done. My God. Anything for the cause before we roll out of here? Going once? Nope. NXT NXT TakeOver is on the greatest streak of delivering top-notch shows of any promotion ever. (laughs) You hear that, All Japan 1990s? NXT is coming for you. Um, all I have to add is as much as I love and I uh, talking wrestling, and I told you guys that um, I was going to try to make the show hit the two-hour mark before we started. It looks like we're going to fall <laughs> short, but um, I'm actually glad that we're not going that long because I'm going to be very honest with you guys. My feet kind of stink, and I, I want to wash them. <laughs> like, it's kind of bothered me for the last 10 minutes. Like, I, I keep going like, damn, what stinks? Like, fucking feet. Well, to bring this full circle, did you guys know that uh, one of the knocks on Vader during his WWF yes. time was his his ring gear smelled really bad? People didn't hey. want to work with him. 
Hey, I don't think anyone would want to work with me right now. <laughs> Thank God we're in the podcasting industry and I can't smell you, Kyle. Well, well, hold on. What a, what a nice segue this is. <laughs> what if this happened next week? What a disaster that would be. Next week, we will reunite. Next Friday, the Top Rope Nation crew is convening here in Iowa for the first time since our experience in New Orleans. Kyle is coming to town to the Hawkeye State. Kyle, are you looking forward to it? I am. Uh, where are we going to do the show, by the way? I have not decided, and I, I have to see if I have the capability to do it, because I might need to like get a cheap soundboard or something so we can all plug in our mics and I can record it all at the same time. Because usually we record, like right now we're on Skype, so <laughs> with us yeah, all in the we... same room, it'll be a little different. Yeah, I, w- I did think of that, actually. Yeah. So I will I, have to research that. We're just all going to have to like sing into the mic like we're Wilson Phillips sisters or something. <laughs> we could just pass around the mic. We could do that, too. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, sure. It would be all right. All right. <laughs> well, I can see cool. Kyle being like, F you. I'm, I'm still talking, man. I'm not, I'm not giving up the mic. Yeah, that, that would get ugly. Yeah, I'm not doing yeah. <laughs> I could just go back to the hotel, I guess. It'd be kind of awkward. <laughs> be like, hey, guys, we hang, out for 20, <laughs> we hang out for 20 minutes. All right, I'm going to go back. Nice seeing you guys. I'm going to go back to the hotel so we can do the podcast. <laughs> Uh, I'll have some good beers for us to enjoy while we record the first ever live edition of the show all together. Should be a good time. So you guys can look forward to that. We'll be getting the show out to you a couple days late, but it should be a damn good one. So you can look forward to it. And uh, the show has ran pretty long, so maybe you'll have to break this one up into two cycles. So maybe this lasts you all the way until next weekend. Who knows? It was a good show. Thanks for tuning in. We got our Vader history in. Uh, check out some Vader matches on the WWE Network. There are lots of them to choose from. We talked about them earlier in the show. Uh, check out, by the way, I mentioned last week uh, we would be having a sale on the Top Rope Nation store that is currently going on. Uh, go to TopRopeNation.com. T-shirts are 15% off. Follow the merchandise link there. And we will be talking to you guys live from the great state of Iowa next week. Take care. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.